back from our little week vacation, so I don't trip, whatever you want to say. We were we were on the Navajo Reservation and on the Hopi Reservation and up in the southern Utah, so we had a good time. So uh, we're back in, in it this morning, uh, Romans 13, and uh, we're going to continue here. Actually, we're going to wrap up this section of the chapter as we've been looking at our reasonable service coming out of chapter 12 there, verse 1 and 2, the renewing of our mind and that issue of our reasonable service as it pertains to our relationship with, in Romans 13, the government. And the issue here that we've looked at, we've looked down through verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher power, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. And we've spent about three or four weeks massaging down through this information here because of, of its really its importance and its connection back up in chapter 12 there about verse 20, therefore if thine enemy hunger. And we looked at the issue there that there is a natural movement about Paul teaching us about our attitudes about our enemy God's view of our enemy into the issue of government because our enemy can then go get the government to become our enemy. And we looked at how they did that with Paul. The Jews would go in, they would take him before the magistrates, and we've looked at that. We looked at why God created uh, human government to begin with, and that's that issue of the evil in verse 3. And Again, Paul isn't talking here about the form of government. He isn't talking about the people in government. He's just talking about human government in the bigger picture. And we have to back up, really, and not focus in on what's right in front of us, which is our form of government that we live under, and really back up and see the bigger picture, which is there is a cosmic battle going on between the adversary and God, and it has to do with that issue of who's going to run and rule in the universe. And we went back, and, I, and as, when God created, 1-1, in the beginning God created, and we looked and we saw the issue there of when he creates in Genesis 1-1, he's creating a governmental structure, then he fills it full of the angelic realm, okay? Then in Isaiah 14, we saw the, the adversaries five-point plan of rebellion, and in verse 12, he talks about weakening the nations. How does he do that? Why does he do that? Well, because God established nationalism, nations, so the adversary comes in and establishes uh, globalism, he establishes a one world. Why? Because God's doing this, so we're going to destroy that, we do this way. And then we went and looked at Nimrod in Genesis 10 and 11 and so forth. And I think we've uh, massaged the, the, the subject down. Today we're in verse 6 and 7, and we're going to talk about that wonderful thing called taxes. Okay? And that great April 15th quarterly taxes are due here the next week and so forth. And verse 6 he says, For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very, uh, very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And we're going to look at that. But before we do that, I had a question come this week that I'm going to answer here. They're watching online, but also because it is something that I brought up last week about Daniel. There is... In Scripture, and we looked at this last week, the issue of disobedience by faith, civil disobedience. Come back to Daniel, if you will. B before you do, Romans 13, 1. We looked last time at Rahab and the two spies. Then we looked at Daniel and Daniel 1 with what he did with the, the prince of the eunuchs there. And, and in Daniel 6, when he withstands the... He goes and he does what he normally is doing, and then Darius has to throw him in the lion's den, okay? And with the civil disobedience, there is no great protest by, in Scripture. Paul, when, even when Paul protested the governmental action against him, 
he didn't call a press conference. He didn't come out and do this big march on, you know, Washington or whatever, Rome. I guess it would be Rome and Paul. He did it quietly, okay? Daniel always had gone and, and set the, and prayed and did what he did there in Daniel 6. He wasn't doing anything new. He didn't say, well, because they said this, then we're going to say that and we're going to make something. That he's, so there's, there's a quiet, peaceable protest, if you will. When the wise men, when God warned the wise men, don't go back to Herod, that, okay, that they, basically God, I said this last time, he's telling the wise men to defy the government by not, by what? By not going back to Jerusalem and reporting in. But he warns them. Great thing there in Matthew. They, they made a decision based on their faith and belief and who they, the child that they were visiting and who he was. And what they do? They went the other way. Now, what was the consequence of that? Well, for Daniel, it was thrown in the lion's den. And for the wise men, if Herod had caught him, he'd have killed him. But they were what? Willing to accept the consequences. So there is a, a means in Scripture to go against, to defy government. But it's not this protest and march and... Rah, it's, okay, we're just not going to do that. But we also have to be willing to do what? Suffer the consequence, because when they catch on, they're going to come and get you. And that's really what's happening in verse 3, 4, 5 here in, in, in Romans 13. That, that's the, in verse 2 there, in 13, 2, when he says, Whosoever resisteth, uh, therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Not damnation of God, but damnation of the power, the government, the human government. And we have to remember that when we do, when, uh, in Acts 5, it's better to trust God, it's better to obey God than to obey men. All right, I butchered the verse, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, I hope you do. <laughs> We've been talking about it now for four weeks. So, and that's the case. That's our standard. So, but what happens is, is then, we tend to like to, our flesh likes to make a big statement. And for believers, we're to live peaceably with all men, chapter 12, 18. That's our thinking process. So how do we do that? Well, if you want less governmental meddling in your business, it's better to be quiet than it is to draw attention to yourself. And I'll be honest with you, in the coming days, like on YouTube, if you get on YouTube and you start saying a bunch of, what they call hate speech or crazy things, you're going to get the, their attention. doesn't mean you're not compromising your belief. You're just saying, you know what, I'm going to view this the way God views. How does he view human government? He established it for a reason, for that issue there in Acts 17 of finding him and seeking him and feeling for him and finding him. And the protection then of those first three institutions, the institution of volition, marriage, and then the family. Now, 13.1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. That is our attitude toward government. Be subject to. doesn't mean you fall in love with them. It doesn't mean you, you just, you, whatever, you know, you, the ultimatum and so forth, because obviously they, government can come in and do something that you just, violates the word of God, and you say, enough's enough, okay? Now, the question that came, and I don't have my phone, so go back to Daniel 4, Daniel chapter 4. The question that came, and excuse me here, let me grab my, my phone so I can read it accurately, and I meant to have this already up. How does Romans 13 reconcile with Daniel 4, verse 17, verse 25 to 26, and verse 32? Why or why not would these verses in Daniel be transdispensational? Okay? And when you read Daniel 4, 17, so let's start there. This matter is by the decree of the watchers. And the, demand, and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know 
that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the, the, the basest of men. Now, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Obviously, that's who Daniel is talking to. And he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar being, uh, being the king. Now, you have to remember, where are we? We're in time past. And in time past, God intervenes, and he was able to go in, and he was to set things. Now, notice verse 25. They, uh, that they shall drive thee from men. Drop down just for sake of time to the, toward the end of that verse. Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Down in verse 32, the middle of the verse there, until you know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. Why did God set Nebuchadnezzar up? So that man would know who's in charge. Okay? Why did God set government up? So that man would do what? Know who's in charge. So you can, you can reconcile Romans 13 with Daniel 4 in that what did he do? He set up the government. Okay? Not that he set Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he does set Nebuchadnezzar. Come over to Jeremiah chapter 27. He does set Nebuchadnezzar up, just as he, he tells us in 2 Chronicles that Cyrus is going to come, the king of the Mede and the per Persians. So it, because in time past, what could God do? Jeremiah 27. He could set the men in the place. Today, he doesn't do that. Paul is not talking about the men. If that was the case, then why in the world would God have allowed a guy like Mussolini or Hitler, the, his, the, the barbarians of history? See, it isn't, that's not the case. Nebuchadnezzar was a barbarian too, by the way, okay? So when you look, look at Jeremiah 27 and look at verse 6. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Now watch, my servant. Why does he set Nebuchadnezzar? He's, he's set there because Israel is going into that fifth course of judgment of Leviticus 26. He set Nebuchadnezzar up to be the, the instrument used in cleaning up Israel, putting, persecuting Israel, okay? So when you come back to Daniel 4, Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar, you're the chosen one to be the king, but that's not the issue. The issue here and Daniel here is that <laughs> the office of your king is established by God. Daniel 4, look down at verse 24. This is the interpretational king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which is upon my Lord the King. Again, it's a decree of who? The Most High. So the only way to reconcile Daniel 4 with Romans 13 is that it's a decree of the Most High. God has ordained the governmental, human government, whatever structure it finds itself in, form, and that's the power to be. So that issue is transdispensational. It passes across all of time. But the setting up of Nebuchadnezzar isn't. It can't be, because this is prophecy. If you look back there in Daniel 2, in Daniel 2 you have the dream of interpretation there of the image of Daniel, and it's all about kingdoms. Verse 44, the goal here of, print, uh, of prophecy, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So the issue in Daniel 4, 17, the principle of, hey, I'm setting this up so that man will know what? 
that the Most High has decreed this to be. That is transdispensational in that God did establish the human government. But the establishment of Nebuchadnezzar is, is uh, not. It's only in the issues of prophecy. Today, we're to be subject to Romans 13. Okay, so go back to Romans 13. And again, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, in, in Isaiah, he talks about the Assyrian being the rod of my indignation. And that's the, the issue there. Today, in Romans 13, Paul is not talking about the form of government. So I know people say, well, God ordained the United States to be a Christian nation. No, we are not a Christian nation. We just hold to some Judeo-Christian morals. When you read and you understand what the founding fathers thought about God, believed, a lot of them were not believers like you and I. They just weren't. Benjamin Franklin was not. I read some things, I'm like, oh my goodness. But what did they have? Well, they had, they had that Romans 2. When the Gentiles by nature do the law, it becomes a law to them. What did they have? They had a morality about them of thou shalt not. So that's how they established it, okay? So I know you say that and I'll get eight emails. Hey, you, you know, and it's like, calm down, you know. Because politics and government is very what? Emotional. And it's, it's not bad that they had the Judeo-Christian influence, <laughs> okay? I mean, they had it. That's why the pilgrims and the guys were running from England anyway, Europe over there. So anyway, go back to Romans 13. So you can reconcile the Daniel 4 in the principal issue of the establishment of government. But everything else in Daniel 4 belongs in time past with the establishment of the king. Okay? So for the folks that asked that, if that didn't help, you can ask more, and I'll try to help you more. But I, said, I talked about Daniel last week, and I wanted to make sure. Because in Daniel, you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They play the music, and what do the boys do? They just stand there. They didn't have signs, no bowing, or... They didn't, they just stood there. They were, by the way, they weren't standing in the middle of the group. They were off on the side. They just stood there. We're not doing this. And when the captains of the guards see them, they go, hey, if you don't, we're going to throw you in there. They're like, okay, willing to take the consequence. No big, you know. What is it? By the way, today's 9-11, you know. No January 6th, March on Washington, you know, whatever. They didn't do that. They just stood there. Why? Because they knew that if they bowed, they were violating what they believed. But they had always been believing it. They didn't just make it up in the moment to protect themselves. Okay? All right. Romans 13. Now let's talk about taxes. Woohoo! Yeah. Good stuff. So how many of us love paying taxes? We were on the Indian, we were on the Navajo reservation this past week and are paying the bill at, uh, at the restaurant. And you know what there's on there? There's a line, Indian tax. I'm like, doggone it. Can't even get away from taxes on the res, you know? <laughs> Why? Because that's what government does. So look at verse 6 again. Let's start here, 13.6. For this cause pay ye tribute also. Now, notice this cause. The this cause is connected to the end of verse 5 about conscience sake and the issue there is for conscience sake your conscience Romans 2 accusing or excusing you why do we pay taxes as believers and again nobody likes paying them trust me you know we go we go to a different county to reduce the taxes it's funny growing up in Chicago we would do that we lived in DuPage County, which had lower taxes than Cook County, so we would do everything we could in DuPage. <laughs> Why? Because you didn't pay the, the state tax was, was, or the county tax was cheaper. We're not talking about that. It's the viewpoint. How do you think about this? How does God view this issue here about human government, but then about paying taxes? And the issue is, is that human government does have the right to impose tax, duties, customs. And we as believers 
renewed mind thinking, because what does our flesh say? Don't pay, don't want to do this, okay? But as believers in our renewed mind and our reasonable service, we ought, we ought to be willing to. By the way, if you don't pay your taxes, what happens to you? Well, when the government catches up to you, it's usually penalties and interest or the big house, okay? And I don't know if you've ever had any interactions with the Internal Revenue Service. I hope you haven't. I have. They're not the, they're not the willow and the breeze. They're the brick wall. We ain't budging. Okay, and hey, that's their job, and I, I could never be that. You know, I could never look at somebody and just say, do it or else. But they do, okay? They can. It's, it's training. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, a government retiree up here. She, oh, get them. All right, and, and that's fine. That's their job, okay? But as believers, how do we think about this? Well, for conscience sake. Hey, that's where we're at. We're on that inner man. Let every soul, inner man, this is inside of you. What are we doing? Let every man, for this cause pay ye tribute. Now, tribute is the tax on person or property. And there's, by the way, all of this is done at all levels of government, state, local, federal, in our, in our system. So, the tribute is the income tax. What do we have? We have a federal income tax and we have a state income tax. That's the tribute. Verse 27, uh, render therefore to all their dues. Dues. You've heard of the duty-free shops? Duty. So it's that duty tax on goods. Then he says, tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Custom is the tax on the imported and exported goods. We call that tariffs. In and out. What's coming in and out. So guess what? You can't escape paying the tax. No matter where you're at. No matter what level you're on. So taxation does exist. And it has existed since the beginning of human government. Again, Paul is not talking about fair or unfair. I don't know. I think my own personal opinion, I'm allowed to have that every now and then, as long as Linda okays it. <laughs> my personal opinion is that every politician should have an economics class of at least three years so they understand the issue of money because a lot of them don't. I don't care if they're lawyers or doctors. By the way, lawyers and doctors are the worst at money, understanding it, how it works. Well, if you go to take Econ 101 and 102, guess what you learn? You learn macro and micro. You learn how money works. That would change a lot. But see, there's a fair tax, you know, we, a consumption tax. Paul's not talking about any of that. He's not talking about whether it's right or wrong. He's not talking about is this fair or unfair. He's talking about the fact is that human government has the right to assess a tax. And we, believers, because that's who Paul is talking about, we're not to be freeloaders. We're not to be leeches. We're not to be parasites on the system. We are to pay for the military. We're to pay for the police for the fire department, for the public works. Why? Because we use those systems. We use that services. Okay? I remember when my brother, he bought a home downstate or uh, in the Chicagoland area, but just south, and he pays property tax of about 12000 a year, 13000 a year. Well, that's a big, that's a big bill. Well, when they moved into the neighborhood, there was no public services. The only public service they had was the garbage pickup. And yet they're paying this big dollar. So guess what happened in the community? A little bit of a revolt of what are we doing? Where is the police? Where is the fire? Oh, well, we've contracted. Oh, yeah. No, you haven't because we don't see them. <laughs> you know, we dial 911 and it's an hour later type of thing. Why? Because... Well, if I see, if it's there, then what, it's my job to be, help pay for that. That's the idea here. 
we, we are expected to pay for those services that are being established by the government, the good. We're to have a spiritual attitude about, the, about paying taxes. Not whether we like it or not, because none of us like it. But we're to have that viewpoint, that renewed mind viewpoint. We are responsible as citizens to give something to human government that we find ourselves under. Now, again, some will argue, well, what if they do evil with the taxpayer money? We see that all the time, don't we? But you know what? That's not our responsibility. What's our responsibility? Pay the tax, the tribute, the custom, the due. Whether they use the money responsibly or not is on who? Them. Remember we are talking about there in verse 4 about, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. And we talked about Nero. How in the world could Nero be the minister of God to them for good when he hated Christian, Christians, he persecuted and all that? Well, how is that? Because he was in the office of the Caesar, the emperor. He's in the office that God created, not the guy. The, the, the responsibility of his actions are his. And one day, at the great white throne judgment, when all those books of works are open, guess what? He's going to pay it. That's why in chapter 12, verse 19, he says, Avenge not yourselves. I, there, today's not the day of vengeance, of getting even. That's coming, and that's my job, the Lord says. Your job is to, ha- is to be the good citizen. Your job is to come in and have the godly viewpoint in life as you interact with these different areas in life. And, you, and when it comes to paying taxes, we're to do that. So if the government assesses the tax, it's their responsibility to use the money wisely. And again, we know that they don't. Why? Because it's a, unsa- it's a corrupt system. There's corruption there. Sin is there. Our responsibility is to pay it. Again, Paul, there's no fair, unfair, no right or wrong. There's no ifs, buts. There's no hypotheticals. The verses are very clear. What do we do? We pay the taxes. We're not to be, we're we're not to leech off the government. And I know we have systems. Come over to Matthew 17. Look at the Lord here. I, I understand that we have a welfare system. But when you go back and you study out the establishment of Social Security, the establishment of welfare, it was not meant to be a lifelong thing. It was only meant to help the veterans coming back from the World War to get on their feet and to get going. It's, it's, it's phenomenal how, what did, what, is Reagan, what did Reagan say when the government says, I'm here to help? You better run, something like that, okay? Well, that's what they said. People got on it, got it, and they got hooked. And then you have multi-generations of it, and you just have trouble then. As believers, I, use the system to get the help you need to move on. That's what it's there for. Pay, the, pay your tax. Now, look at the Lord, Matthew 17. In Matthew 17, verse 24, you have th- this passage gets used by grace believers, believe it or not, to say we shouldn't be paying taxes, okay? Matthew 17, 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? Now, they're trying to get the Lord. They're always dogging him about something. Well, what is the Lord? The Lord has said, and the apostles have said, and the little flock has said, he's the king. The Lord's the king. He's going to be the king. Talking about the kingdom to come, and he's the king. So what do they think he's, what is, what are, they're thinking about the king in the moment. We'll see in a minute. He's not, he's not. He's got a future right here, right now. Notice what, what they say. Doth not your master pay tribute? Notice, do, does your master pay the tax, income tax? Peter answers. He saith, yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus pre, uh, prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? I, I love the way the Lord knew what was going on, even though he wasn't there. <laughs> he just, hey, what, what's going, what do you think, Simon? Now watch, watch the Lord. Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? 
of their own children or of the strangers. Now, who's the stranger? That's Israel. Israel is in a condition, Leviticus 26, that they should never have been under, which was Gentile rulership. They should have never been there, but they are. They find themselves there because of their unbelief. So who is Rome taxing, Pete? What, let's think about this. Are they taxing their own children or the strangers? Well, Peter got it. Verse 26, Peter saith unto him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free. So what believers do is they say, see, we're the children of God. We're the children of the kingdom of God. So we're free from paying tax to Caesar, to, to the government. But that's not what the verse says, is it? You see how you can cherry pick stuff and, and create a, a mechanism to get around? Sure. Who's the children in the passage, in the context? It's the children of the kingdom of the world. It's the children of, the, of Rome. You see, it's the children of Rome. Do they tax themselves or do they tax the strangers? Well, they tax the strangers. And if you look at Roman Empire history, what did they do? They would move into a territory. At first, they conquered them and brought them all back home, and then they figured out we ought to leave them and tax them to death. And that's what they did. Now watch verse 27. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money, that take, and give unto them for me and thee. Now, wow. So you know what you got? You got some, some wonderfully Bible-ignorant people out there fishing, looking for the fish with the money in the mouth. This is the Lord. This is the earthly ministry. This is time past. But what, is he, what did he say there? Pete, you go do this. By the way, if he's going to go cast a hook, take up the fish, and there's money in the fish's mouth, what does that demonstrate who Jesus Christ is? He's the creator. He's God. He can do that. But the point isn't that. Well, that is one, that's point one. Point two is take the money and pay them for me and thee. Go pay the tax. If they're, you know, they're asking a question, do you pay the income tax? We say yes. Pete, what do you think? Do you think they're going to tax themselves or are they going to tax us because we're the strangers? Pete says the strangers. And the Lord says, that's great. That's fine. That's wonderful. Now go down there and pay them. <laughs> and by the way, on your way, stop by the bank and get the money out of the account. It'll be a, a, a rainbow trout. and He'll have it for you. Okay. And go. But in the verse 27, go back up to the beginning, lest we should, what? Offend them. And that's really the issue here. Because there's an issue that the Lord is teaching the 12, the apostles, the little flock, subsequently us by looking into it, that there's two governmental systems that are in play. The governmental system of the world, the adversary, and God's kingdom and his system. And guess what? They are opposites on the spectrum completely. So he says, hey, lest we should offend them. So the issue of to offend is that issue of crossing a line between right and wrong. What would be wrong? Not paying the tribute. What would be right? Paying the tribute. So we don't want to do that. It's that issue of we don't want to be breaking the law. Now, by the way, you can offend people without breaking the law. Okay. I probably have offended many already this morning by saying, go pay your taxes. All right? Look over with me at 1 Corinthians 10. Just think about this issue of offend, offending. 1 Corinthians 10. We've got to move here. 1 Corinthians 10. And look at verse 32. 10.32. Give none offense neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Give none offense. Don't be offensive. 
And what Paul's driving at, because he's been talking about liberty, the, liber you know, the liberty he has in, in, in chapters 8, 9, and 10 here, don't give anyone a legitimate reason to bring an accusation against you. Don't do that. They're going to find other things to come and get you. Don't give them on a silver platter something. And by the way, not paying your taxes is an issue that can get you in trouble. We should pay our taxes, but don't give that. If Come over to 2 Corinthians 6. We should be paying. And again, if you don't, what kind of reaction are you going to get? You're going to get one of offense. You've offended them. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Again, not always legal issues here in verse 3, but in what we're talking about, no offense in anything. Come back with me to Luke 23. Watch the Lord do it again here. Great illustration here of the attitude. Really, I should have said when we started this, I want you to just see the attitude about it, okay? Um, I've got to sit Monday, and I have to pay quarterly taxes. Yeah, I don't like that. I know I have to on the 15th four times a year. So what have I been doing? Hopefully, I have enough. <laughs> put, a, put aside. Why? Because I know it's coming. Because if I don't, you know what my tax lady's going to do to me? You owe this. And it's a big bill. <laughs> okay. Let's do Why? I know that in my job, that's what we're going to do. Luke 23, notice the Lord here. Luke 23, verse 1. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. So where are we? We're before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Now let me ask you something. What did we just read in Matthew 17 that the Lord said to Peter? Go pay the tribute. Stop by Rainbow Trout Bank and get it and go. So the accusation against the Lord is what? False. That he'd said, don't pay. No, he said, pay. But notice he says there that he himself is Christ a king. And that, verse 3, and Pilate asked him saying, did you pay the tribute to Caesar? Pilate didn't ask that, did he? He said, are you a king? Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him, said, thou sayest it. You see, Pilate went right beyond the tax issue and went to the king issue. Why? Because if you say you're the king, what are you, what are you suggesting? Insurrection. What are you, you're suggesting raising up a, a competing authority, a competing political power th structure here. He doesn't even say, it's not about paying taxes, it's about what? <laughs> are you, are you going to rise up here? Because if you are, I'm going to deal with you, and if you're not, then we'll do something else. Come back to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Watch it here. <clears throat> Matthew 22. So the Lord's attitude about all of this is clear. You're going to pay your taxes. Pay it. Because if you don't, the government has a right to come, and if you don't, you're offending them. 22.17. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Here again, they're coming up against him. They're, they're, they are the Pharisees, verse 15, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him with this talk. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. That was a weird breathe in. Verse 16, and they sent out unto him their disciples and the Herodians. The Herodians are that third sect in the Sanhedrin. They are the politicians. They're the connection with Rome. They've, they've worked themselves in. And what are, they, what are they asking? You pay your taxes. Verse 18, but Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Oh, he just calls it the way it is. Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Who's, who, Whose is the image and, and superscription? 
And they said unto him, Caesar. Then said he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Well, who belongs to God? Israel does. You see, the leadership of Israel had led Israel down the path of unbelief. They should have recognized him as Messiah, subsequently the little flock of the twelve and so forth, and got him right. But they didn't. They're worried about their place and position. Verse 22, when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. He doesn't say, I'm the king and we need to overthrow Rome. He says what? Give the Caesar to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Two diametric opposing systems. The kingdom of the world, come over to John 18, and the kingdom of God. Caesar, Rome, the kingdom of the world, the adversary, the things that belong to God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that belong to him. That issue in Daniel 2, 44. The kingdoms of this world are going to be destroyed by the kingdom of God. John 18. Here's the whole thing in John 18, verse 36. That's why he says this. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, where is it? It's in heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. By the way, that kingdom of God, that title is a big umbrella term. Kingdom of heaven, because the context it's being used in, it will tell you what he's talking about, because in a minute we're going to see something else here. Verse 36, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. When he says, my kingdom is not of this world, he's talking about the system. God's, he's setting, he's instructing the believing remnant, the little flock. He's instructing that apostate nation that he's that nobleman that's going to go off and receive the kingdom and one day return. And when he returns, he's going to set up that literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. Now, I know what the, the theologians use. They say this as, well, no, this kingdom is really a spiritual kingdom in the hearts and the minds of men and all that stuff, and it's not at all. These guys never anticipated some spiritual thing. They anticipated a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. God says, hey, it's not time for my kingdom to be here, but when it gets here, look out. So what do we have? We have two different systems We've got the kingdom of the world, and we've got the kingdom of God. Now, come on over to, well, you're in John, right? Go back to John. Well, just for time. Oh, Matthew 20. Got to go there. We got to do this. Matthew 20. Matthew 20. There's a point in all this. Sometimes I think it's pointless, but there's a point here. Matthew 20, Matthew 20, and look at verse 25. Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. How does the Gentile world system government operate? They exercise authority, don't they? That is a reflection of the satanic policy of evil. By the way, that is the system that we're under today. The Gentile world. What do they do? They exercise authority over. Well, we're free. I don't know. <laughs> they exercise authority over you pretty easily. Chapter 21 of Matthew. Verse Well, I, I'm sorry, it should be 20, 26. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your 
what? Servant. How do, Matthew 20, 25, how does the Gentile world work? Dominion. Boom, boom, boom. God says, in my kingdom, it's a servant mentality is how we operate. In John, he goes in and he washes their feet before going into the upper room. And he says, I did that so you guys would understand what a servant looks like. And off he goes. So the politics of God operate different than the politics of man. The politics of man is how Satan thinks, how the lie works, and that is dominion. Boom, boom, boom. God comes in and says, you know what? We're going to work on a different mentality. We're going to esteem others better than themselves. We're going to think about this completely different. Our political agenda needs to reflect the sentiment, the lifestyle, the thinking, the philosophy of God. How does he think about this? Well, Romans 13, what does he say? Be subject, pay your taxes. So then that's how we should think. Okay? We have a different attitude about it. Now, come back to Romans 14. We got 10 minutes to do an hour. You think I'm kidding, but it's not. But we'll do it quickly, and you just catch the principles. But Romans 14, look, look again with me at verse 17. We have, Folks, we have to have a renewed mind about the human government. We just do. If you don't, it'll kill you. It'll stress you out. It'll cause you gray hair. It'll cause you to get on, sit on that couch and forsake every, all your responsibilities because you can't get away from Fox, CNN, CNBC, all blah, 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 okay? How many of you know the queen died? Oh, my goodness. Now, I enjoy the, the royalty, I, I, okay? But, okay, enough. Let's get on, all right, we know. Well, they, they, got, they got like eight days of mourning. I'm like, okay, ten days? See, she even knows. Look at this up front here, Okay. <laughs> I get it, but what do you got? Boom, boom, boom. You know, I know at 21 she said she's going to life of service. How many times have we heard that? Okay. You know, well, just back up and think about our own country and the politics of the scene now. It's like, okay, enough already. We, we know. We got it. You know, I love Rush Limbaugh, the low information voter. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. He had a way of nailing it pretty much sometimes. Other things I don't know, but man, anyway. Romans 14, look at verse 17. Think about you and I, how we ought to be thinking about this. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. First of all, notice that Paul is not, he's going to, here in Romans 14, now in Romans 14, he's dealing with the weaker brother, and we'll get into all that when we get there, and we'll look at this directly. But in Romans, he introduces items that he later develops the details out in other books. Now he just introduced to you and I the kingdom of God. But if I say unto you, we're a part of the kingdom of God, what do you usually think? Israel's program, because that's what Israel's program's been all about, a kingdom, right? But later now, Paul's going to develop out this title and this issue. By the way, notice it, it's not meat and drink. But wait a minute, the Lord said, I'm going to eat and drink with you in the kingdom. Are we talking about the same program? Nope. That's why right division is such a wonderful little tool in the, in the tool book, toolbox. So you've got to pay attention to that. Come with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. Just wa watch how Paul develops this out. Again, Romans 14, he's introduced to us. He introduces to us the judgment seat of Christ in Romans 14. No details. He just says you're going to appear. But in 1 Corinthians and, and subsequent path, he does what? The details are developed. Follow that? That's what he's doing here. Look at verse thir uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.12. That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. His kingdom Where? How about a heavenly kingdom? Good with that? Okay. 
But if you say that and if you talk about that, you have to be Pauline correct in your terminology. Okay? Because if you say something, you understand it, but your hearer might not. <laughs> so what do they do? Oh, he's talking about the kingdom promised by Abraham and all this. And it's like, no. Now you made a spiritual Israel. We, we learn in Romans 9, 10, and 11, we ain't that. That's something, we're the body. 2 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, which is a manifest token of, right, of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. See, by the way, counted worthy. Wait, I'm in Christ, I'm complete. So it isn't your justification, is it? We're talking really about your walk, a worthy walk, see. But notice it's the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the end of Paul's days, the end of his life, verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. So what is Paul talking about? He says, listen, guys, you're come over to Philippians 3. Ah, I did this one, man. Guys, you belong to the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1. That's who you belong to. You are a kingdom mentality people. And what does it take to run the kingdom? It takes taxes to run the kingdom. You see that. So be the good citizen. Pay, the, pay your part. Do your part. Because you are what? You're a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. And you're to do your part. Look at Philippians 3. Look at verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As a citizen of the heavenly government, we have the privilege of representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Our family is in heaven. Our loyalty rests in heaven. Our address is the heavenly places. Our rights are in heaven. I'm sorry, they're not in Washington, D.C. in a piece of paper. That's, again, that influence of the writers, what does it say? It all starts where? In the Creator. Well, Washington lost that. Believers, we should never lose that. Our allegiances is to the heavenly kingdom. By the way, our identity is there. Okay? Now watch. Come back to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. On Wednesday night in our study in Mark, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. Okay? By the way, this Wednesday night, we're Mark 10. We'll get moving on. So you can go back and listen to the last three or four messages in Mark 9. And you can see that worked out in the Old Testament. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 15. Paul's second prayer here, how the mature believer would pray. He says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. See that? Whole family. There's the whole of it. But where? In heaven and in earth. Chapter 2. We're going backwards. Because two is before three. Look at what he's already taught the Ephesians. 2.19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. You're no longer in verse 11 and 12 condition. What are you? You're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So the kingdom is being pictured family household. So what do you have? Well, keep reading. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Well, we got a foundation. What do you put a house on, usually? Foundation. We were out at, uh, on our little trip, Canyon de Chez and so forth, and they've got ruins all down in the canyon. And it, by the way, if you go, you ought to go. Take a Jeep tour all day. We were on the goofy Jeep for seven hours. It was one, because you get back in there and 
and you go from 30 feet high walls to over 1,000 foot high walls. It's the second largest canyon in the country. You know what the first one is, right? Grand Canyon. It's the big hole in the, in the ground. But the thing is, is you know what they have? He, the, the guide was telling us, he's like, you see that? Those are ruins. They go back to the first people. They call them the Anasazis. And he says, we know that they're there because we see the foundations of the buildings that have subsequently, you know, gone away. Like, that's pretty cool. What was there? The foundation. What are we built upon? Apostles and prophets. Well, we have those, we've had those. Chapter 4, verse 11, he gave some. And who? Jesus Christ himself. How do we know? 1 Corinthians 3, he's the man. What are we foundation on? Well, foundation on him. That's where we're at. In whom all the building fitly framed together. So what do you do on the foundation? You build this house. But we're fellow citizens of a household, of a family, in whom, verse 22, you also are builded together in habitation of God through the Spirit. What do you do in the house? You live. What are you and I? In the wing of the body of Christ in the, in the house, what are we? We're the heavenly kingdom. Israel is the earthly kingdom. And we're all sit underneath that roof of that title of kingdom of God. And as a heavenly citizen of the heavenly kingdom, we're to represent, what are, we're the ambassadors for Christ. We're to represent him. And you know what he's told us? Be the good citizen. Do your part. Come back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, verse 9 having made known unto us the mystery of his will. By the way, his will, this is the Father's will, verse 3. According to his good pleasure, here's the good pleasure of the Father, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are, the, are, are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So how's he doing that? He comes in, he lays a foundation using apostles and prophets. Israel had apostles and prophets. The church, the body of Christ, has an, an apostle, the apostle, prophets. The foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is. Who is he to Israel? He's their Messiah, but he's also their king and their prophet and their priest. Who is he to you and I? He's our head. He's our all. He's everything. We come in and we live in our wing of the building. It all fits under that roof, roof called the kingdom of God. And there we are. So in Romans 13, the point here that Paul is making is your job as a citizen of heaven is to be subject unto the higher powers why? Because they're ordained of God. God's viewpoint about the government, no matter the form, no matter the people, talking about the structure and the purpose of it, his attitude is be subject unto it. One day he's going to reset the day of vengeance. He'll get it. He'll do it. It's his job. The Father gave him to be the judge, not you. Your job is to come over here and to live as who you are in Christ. In Titus, he says, lead, lead. When you lead, what are you doing? You're showing, you're moving, okay? A quiet and peaceable life. Obey magistrates. Pray for the kings. Pray for them. Why? That you can lead that quiet and peaceful. In other words, you know what you are? You're at peace with the government. You're quiet with uh, your, your relationship. It's not hostile. It's not, rawr, you know, low profile, yeah. Why? Because who, who are we? Now in verse 8, which we'll start next week, to verse 14, we get the, the fifth section here on our reasonable service, and he literally gives us nine of the Ten Commandments to keep. The one of the commandments he doesn't keep 
is the keeping of the Sabbath over in Colossians. Because the Sabbath belongs to Israel. So we'll have a good time looking at that because if anybody ever says, do you know where the Ten Commandments are? I hope you know where they are, Exodus 20. Okay? Uh, I'll just tell you. Okay? But for you and I, here's a, whole, here's a list of them that we're to keep. Why? Because it's, more, it's a morality. It's a moral issue. It's, a, it's an issue of being a good citizen in, the, the, in society. Okay? And we'll talk about that next time. All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the look into this. And Lord, I just pray that we would renew our minds and have your attitude and your thinking about all of the details of our lives and the various components. In your name we pray. Amen.